Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. Hello, I'm trying to reach David Ortiz, please. This is David Ortiz. Hello, David. This is uh, Jack O'Connell with the Baseball Writers Association of America. I'm calling you from Cooperstown, New York, to let you know that the Baseball Writers have elected you to the National Baseball Hall. Yes! Mike, I say this a lot. Um, there's nobody I'd rather talk to today than you, but I mean it more so today than most days, because uh, who better to talk to about David Ortiz than the guy who literally wrote the book on him? Uh, so <laughs> when you hear David Ortiz, first ballot baseball Hall of Famer, you think what? I think I'm really happy for him. I was so I was so proud of him. I knew it was inevitable. I didn't know it was going to happen on the first ballot. I thought it would be close because MLB, the MLB writers have had a hard time recently, like in the last 50 years, uh, of putting a designated hitter in the Hall of Fame first, not to mention uh, the PED uh, story that came out in 2009 based on the 2003 test that was not official. But there are just two... Uh, designated hitters in the Hall of Fame. Ortiz becomes the second after Edgar Martinez in 2019. But I'm just thinking about the guy and his journey, and it really couldn't go to a better guy. I'm, I'm just really, just really excited for him, knowing where he came from in the Dominican Republic, knowing the twists and turns on his way to the Hall of Fame. Uh, it, it's pretty incredible when you think about some of the others. Some of the others who who are there, uh, some who should be there, and I know we'll talk about that later. Some of these guys we're talking about were, you know, top five, top ten picks, uh, son uh, sons of major league players, or been identified at a long time at a young age. Hey, this guy's born get and there. bred to do it. Yeah. yeah, but that that really wasn't his story. You know, Mike. A, a lot of people don't know David Ortiz when he was. 14, 15, 16, he thought he was going to play in the NBA. He loved the NBA, <laughs> watched the NBA in the Dominican Republic, loved Charles Barkley, loved Carl Malone. He was a big kid, 6'3", 6 6'4", 6 uh, not as hefty uh, as, he, as he was when he played, but he could ball. You know, a left-handed baller, and he thought, hey, I'm going to play in the NBA. He was on a traveling team in the Dominican Republic. They used to go all over the island, and he was a pretty good player. And uh, when when he thought he thought he was going to get a, a major league invite uh, when he was 16 and a half, 17, he thought he was going to be signed by a major league team. They looked at him. He had a bad week or a bad couple weeks of practice, and he didn't get the invite that he thought he was going to get. And that team cut him. It was Florida. Yeah. Florida cut him. 
And uh, he went to talk to his dad. His dad said uh, he was down, really depressed. David was. Dad said, okay, son, what happened? Um, did you break your, did you break a leg? Did you break your arm? Is, is something physically wrong with you, son? David said, no. And then his father started laughing. He said, dad, why are you laughing? I told you I got cut. He said, team just made the biggest mistake of their lives. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. It's just not there. The opportunity is coming somewhere else. So I'll tell you one more story. One more story that just makes me laugh and tells you about Ortiz, the personality. I mean, the talent is obvious. Uh, the power, uh, the, the ability to be nerveless in the clutch. But he was always a leader among his teammates, whether his teammates were U.S. citizens or teammates from, uh, were from the Dominican Republic. So when he first time he left the Dominican, first time he was ever on a plane, he was 17, and he went to Arizona, played the rookie league, noon temperatures, like around 100-something degrees. They're playing games in like 103, 104 degrees. He was like, it's hot. I took a little bit of English lessons because my father told me, you're going to need this one day. You're going to be a major league player. Really study your English. So he was one of the few players who could speak English uh, among the Dominicans on the team. Hmm. So they're in Arizona. They don't know what's going on. And he was able to lead them. He'd say, all right, this is what you need to do. Whether it was, you know, going to the ballpark or understanding uh, the American culture or joking around because the man loves to joke around. So one of the things I love this story told me like one of his teammates went to a, uh, a soda machine, like a vending machine, wanted a soda. So the word in Spanish, the word dime, dime is slang for say it. So okay. his teammate is putting uh, some coins oh, into this machine. Okay. okay. And Ortiz, and, and he didn't put in enough. Okay. So the thing said, Dime, dime. You need another dime. dime. Yeah. So, yeah. So Ortiz is saying, hey, man, you got to scream at it for it to come out. <laughs> <So> <laughs> the, guy, the guy was saying, soda, Coca Cola. <laughs> he just kept screaming. And Ortiz is telling him, Say it louder. It still says teammates. Say it louder. So the guy's cool. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> and they're all rolling as the guy is yeah. screaming. He's like, no, I'm just playing with you, man. Put a dime in yeah. and it'll come out. Yeah. So, I mean, he's always yeah. been that guy. People have always followed him all the way to yeah. the very end of his career in 2013. Last thing I'll say, 2013, no, they're going, going to the World Series. They're down uh, to the St. Louis Cardinals. They're trailing two to one in that series. Ortiz is hitting out of his mind, but everybody else around him, you know, he thought that they lacked confidence and it's a famous picture. He called his teammates together in the dugout there and he, he said, look, are you guys scared? Are you scared? Are you scared of this guy? Are you scared of this team? Uh, no, we're not scared. We're playing like you're scared. Come on now. Hmm. It's a World Series. This is the moment. This is what we've been talking about. Let's go. They come back, they win that game. They don't lose another game in the series. So uh, he was a he was a clutch player. He was a leader. He was a prankster. He would make everybody. He'd make so-called little people. He would make them feel important as soon as he walked into the room. He still does that. He was great. The Red Sox have an association. 
uh, with the Jimmy Fund, which is known for, for cancer research, especially right, with kids. Right. Ted Williams started it. David Ortiz, any kind of patient, he'd walk into the room, walk into a hospital. They all feel like they're important. So congratulations to David Ortiz for making it to the Hall of Fame. Hey, I'm going to ask you that, uh, that good old Boston sports talk radio question. First time caller, long time listener, you know, you know, so you mentioned Ted Williams, man's got a tunnel named after him in Boston. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the last time you had this conversation. Ortiz, Mount Rushmore, Boston sports, Ortiz Ortiz is definitely on it, it, right? Okay. All right. He's got to be on it. I'll, I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Thanks, hey, thanks, guys. Thanks. Enjoy the show. And, yeah. and you know, y- y'all need to know, family. Y'all out there, you need to know Michael Smith. Shame on him. I think the statute of limitations is up on this, so this story can be told. Michael Smith Uh-oh. one time called sports radio with a Boston <laughs> with his Boston accent and pretended to Terrible be like Boston Tony. Accent. Tony, no, no, it worked. It was like Tony from Framingham. He was, from Framingham. He was living yeah, out yeah. in Framingham, Massachusetts at the time, yeah. suburb of uh-huh. Boston. Hey guys, hey, hey you know, love, love what you're doing. Love what you're doing out there. Hey, hey, let me just throw <laughs> First this time, out. long time. <laughs> <laughs> and this went on. And this yeah, went on for yeah. like 12 minutes. I should have hung yeah. up on him, but I just let him go. I was yeah. like, how long is he going to keep this going? But he just kept going. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I say character. Ortiz makes it because, you know, 04, 2007, yeah. 2013, those three championships, including the big one that broke, right. uh, that, that broke yeah. a drought. And Ted Williams, look, Ted Williams, the numbers, like nobody's got numbers like Ted Williams. It's silly stuff. Silly stuff. You look yeah. at his on-base percentage, his slugging percentage, for his guy, like all this stuff. And he missed time going to, he, he went to war right. and then came back from right. war. He right. was flying planes and then coming back and, you know, hitting, right. hitting home runs. It's an incredible story. His story is great, but still championships. Yeah. So I give, or, it, Ortiz I give it to did, Ortiz. Did more for the team. Yeah, I mean, listen. Ortiz that, so and championships, Ortiz that's three. in postseason. That's three. I mean, if you want to put Williams and Ortiz, you want to get two Red Sox. I mean, it's like, okay, Brady, Belichick, Bobby Orr, Bill Russell. I mean, Mount Rushmore in Boston doesn't work. Uh, what if I get personal? Well, more personal. What is your uh, relationship with him now? How long ago did you write that book again? How long did you write, write the book? Uh, 2000. Came out in 2017, May May of 2017. Still, y'all so, still keeping regular touch? Goodness. I didn't know if you had a chance. I'm sure his phone is blowing up since yesterday. I didn't know if you had a chance to text yeah. him or be in contact with him since last night. Send a text, reach out to him, and uh, vintage David Ortiz. So I sent a text yesterday. Uh, he'll get back to me in about a week and a half. So uh, he look. I thought. Listen, Mike. You thought you, <laughs> thought you thought I was bad with, with me? No, no, me with punctuality. I told you before, David Ortiz. (laughs) David Ortiz is next level, but I will give him this. And I enjoyed this so much. Um, And this is a this is such a brother from another story. We can all relate to this. The end of it is a brother from another story. He we got into a routine. He would say, "Come to my house, and let's just talk. Let's just talk for as as long as you need." He's like, "How long? How long do you think we should talk?" I said, "Well, David." Um, you played 20 years, so I'd say at least 20 hours, like an hour for each season of your career. And it, it was much more than that, but I, I would just, I wanted to set the tone there. I wanted to set a foundation just to get more time. I don't want it to be less. And so we would go, he'd, I'd go out to his house and eventually after he go, go through his own thing, got to be clean and mm-hmm. all that stuff. 
we sit down and we would talk, but I would see, I could see him in his house, in his element mm. and how it worked. And it was great. Like we go down to his, his basement and he'd have all this memorabilia. We're sitting there talking. And I remember one day we're sitting there talking and all of a sudden, boom, I heard this noise outside. Then I heard uh, his wife, Tiffany say, uh, David, come here. Like, hold on, man. <laughs> Go up. Hey, the umbrella flew uh, from the outdoor table. The, the umbrella mm. flew off. I need you to go out yeah. and pick it up. <laughs> and yeah. so it's like, all right. It was just like these, these everyday, these mundane tasks that we do all the time. Still so had to do the it. great David Still Ortiz the balls at the crib. House. Yeah. At, at the crib. Yeah. So what? So what? Hey, hey, yeah. you know, there's some boxes that came. I need you to take those boxes upstairs or downstairs. It was just, uh, just the, the ordinariness of Ortiz, mm -hmm. who was seen outside of his house as this extraordinary figure, but his Larger kids would do the same guy, thing. Yeah. Hey, like his kids would come by, friend from school. Oh, hey, Dad. <laughs> and, then, and then just keep and just keep pushing. You know, somebody yeah. from somebody and his kids went to public high schools, public schools. That was intentional. Yeah. They really, you know, Tiffany and David. I know they're uh, in the process of, of separating now, but they were really passionate about making sure that their kids were a part of whatever community that they lived in. And so that was the other part of, of Ortiz's story that there is the, these, these contrasts of big moment larger than life. But when yeah. he was at home, he really he really was at home didn't have a uh, somebody there was no butler who come to the door. Hello, sir. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll see you and those just like hey, what's up, man? Yeah. Let's yeah. go. You ready to talk? Let's talk. He got to the Sox in 03? 02, 03? Which year did he get yeah. to the Sox? 03. 03. Yeah. I, the reason I say that is I wish I had the pleasure of covering him. I wish I had the pleasure of being in the clubhouse around him. By that time, I had drifted away from the Red Sox. My, my exposure to the Red Sox was, was, you know, Pedro at his peak when him pitching at Fenway was literally an event, uh, you know, on Yawkey Way and, 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 and in Boston. Um, by the time I got to, you know, 02, 03, Ronald Red Sox every now and then. So I may have bumped into him, and I'm sure he was friendly, if, if I recall correctly. I'm sure he was. Uh, but by that time, I was more focusing on the NFL, so I wish I'd had the pleasure. Uh, one of four players with 500 home runs and three World Series titles. Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, Reggie Jackson, David Ortiz. Uh, this is the only time, the first, last, and only time that I am going to agree with Kurt Schilling, speaking of the Red Sox and the curse, <laughs> who tweeted yesterday that every time this, every time the Hall of Fame induction comes around, we make it more about who didn't get in versus who did. So congratulations, David Ortiz. Your co-author just told some amazing stories. Your numbers, your accomplishments speak for themselves. But like everybody, his legacy is more complicated than just his accomplishments. So with that said, that segment was devoted to David Ortiz. We're going to take a break. We are not going to muddy yeah. the waters on a David Ortiz conversation with a conversation about those who were once again excluded. I just wanted to hear you. I wanted to hear you drop some knowledge on Ortiz since you know him as well as anybody possibly could and didn't play with him. Yeah, and, and, you know, and you know why they call him Poppy, right? You know the Poppy story. What's the story? He doesn't he he like big names. 
No, he don't oh, remember. Okay. Oh, so he's name. calling everybody Poppy. So he called like, everybody hey, Poppy. Poppy. Yeah. Instead of like calling yeah. somebody, my man, buddy, he's like Poppy. Mm-hmm. Hey, what's mm-hmm. up, Poppy? What's up, Poppy? So yeah. people started calling okay. him Big Poppy. And the worst part go. of it, he is he, he is bad with names. The worst part of it is the guy who hit in front of him was called Petey. David mm-hmm. Pedroia, uh, Dustin Pedroia. Dustin Pedroia, Nicknamed yeah. Petey. Yeah. So he he never knew Dustin Pedroia's first name was Dustin. So Pedroia gave him a hard time. He said, look, man, I'm introduced before you. <laughs> you like they say Dustin Pedroia. <laughs> what did you think my name was? <laughs> he like, Poppy was too busy being fly. Was Dustin? Hey, it was hard work. I, Making it look that easy and that good. Poppy was too busy being fly. You know what I'm saying? Always. <laughs> That's what it comes down Always. to. A lot of fun, though. A lot of fun, man. Like one of the one of the most fun uh, projects I've ever done. Thankfully, That's awesome. it was a blessing to do it. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, so you need 75% of the Baseball Writers Association of America votes to get in. David Ortiz got 77.9%. He's the lone inductee this year, zero uh, last year. Um, again, one of four players with 500 home runs and three World Series titles. Um, has the most postseason go-ahead hits in history, I believe, with 17, if, if memory serves. Um, but he was mentioned in the Mitchell Report, and he is connected to the steroid era. Um, which leads us to once again, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, along with Kurt Schilling and Sammy Sosa in their 10th time on the ballot are now off the baseball writers ballot. Uh, their fate rests with the uh, veterans committee, the today's game era committee. Uh, they can get 12 out of 16, 75% of that committee's votes. And they can still get in the hall of fame. They can still get into Cooperstown. Um, you know, Michael, it's funny. I haven't had this conversation in a long time. Uh, once upon a time, this was like a, an everyday conversation in, in sports talk, uh, especially at the height of, of the steroids era and the fallout from the yeah. steroids era. Um, and I, I, I think, I feel like I evolved because, you know, I like to be consistent, but not stubbornly consistent. I think I evolved. I think early on, I may have had, I may have been part of the, the outrage mob. I may have been part of the cheated the game chorus. I feel like I was at one point, Mm. but like many people, my attitude has softened and evolved about this. Um, I was always conflicted. At least I I at least know that at the minimum I was conflicted. It wasn't just nope, you did PEDs, you're out. Because I always recognized that there were plenty of cheaters in Cooperstown, (laughs) plenty of people who performed in a segregated game in Cooperstown whose, whose careers deserve asterisks. Uh, who are in right. Cooperstown. There, there, there are no perfect people in Cooperstown despite this morality or character clause, which is the problem with this process because you have flawed human beings yes. judging other yes. flawed human beings. 
And Thank I'll you. ask you the question this way, Michael. I'll ask, I'll ask you the question this way. What does a greater disservice or what discredits the Hall of Fame more? Letting people like Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, Sammy Sosa, Alex Rodriguez, help Pete Rose, as far as I'm concerned, let him in too. What's worse, letting them in or keeping them out? Because if uh, for me, a museum is about telling a story, story. history. Telling story. It's about telling a story. Yes. The story of baseball is incomplete, and we don't need it sanitized. We don't need it edited. Just tell, tell the truth. Tell, it's not hard. Tell a story. But tell if you're going to keep the greatest baseball player that most of us have ever seen, who was already a Hall of Famer before he ever thought about taking performance-enhancing drugs, if you're going to keep the most dominant pitcher out that many of us have ever seen, with all due respect to some others who are in the conversation, then, like, let's just clean up the whole thing. You want to clean up the game? Let's clean up the game. Let's vacate their records. Let's vacate their awards. Let's vacate all the team accomplishments that their teams and teammates achieved, thanks in no small part to their contributions. Let's refund all the money that baseball and baseball owners made off of Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and, and, and Barry Bonds. Let's take Bud Selig out of the Hall of Fame as he yeah. oversaw the steroid ever era. Let's take off some wins from some of these managers like a Tony La Russa. Let, let, let if you want to go there, right. let's go there. Who's in the Hall of Fame but to keep right, but to keep these people yeah. all out of the Hall of Fame. It, it doesn't hurt them because we all know that they're Hall of Famers. We all know what they did. We saw it with our own eyes. It well, hurts it the credibility hurt of the baseball, right? It, it, hurts, okay, it hurts both and more so. Well, no, I'm not talking about how they feel about it. I'm not talking about how they feel about it. I'm saying it doesn't hurt their reputations because we know what they did. Their numbers and accomplishments yeah. and ability speaks for themselves. They may be disappointed, even though they won't necessarily admit it. What I'm saying is it does more damage to the credibility of the Hall and the baseball writers who, after 10 years, cannot see fit to get off their high horse, get off their soapbox, and take off the white wig and understand that these people are integral to the history of baseball and belong in the Hall of Fame, full stop. What was the, uh, well, and I'll get there because you, you, you just said a lot of beautiful things right there, really did. But you need to remind me because you're better at the recall on this than I am. What was the Chris Rock joke? When he was like, who's more racist than Old black people. What, what, what are you, what oh, yeah, that was it. That was it. <laughs> that was, that was yeah. Old black men. Said, if the revolution ever come, I'll kill a first. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I love Susie. Just to though. show my main like, business. <laughs> yeah. None, right, of this, yeah. none of this couldn't get a cab, so they were the cab. Right. You know what they I mean? weren't the Left. 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 The reason I bring that up is because yeah. we keep talking about the baseball writers. Mm -hmm. But some of these Hall the of players Famers, too. Oh, hi, Joe Morgan. Some of these Hall yeah, of Famers, no, the players too. I mean, yeah, they yeah, are the more too. militant. They are more get off my yeah. lawn. The fortress. Yeah. The fortress is real with them. Yeah, they ain't trying to see these guys get in. And so right. when I look at taking it from the writers and you mentioned the, uh, the today's committee, the, the today committee is going to meet this year in the Baseball Hall of Fame to see if, if Roger Clemens and, and Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa have a more 
embraceable audience, a, a more forgiving audience. No, they don't. Not there. Not with them. So a yeah. lot of these. Yeah. So You're so right. the problem, the problem is deep. The problem is there are a lot of pockets that are just not having it. They just don't want to hear it. You can make these reasonable arguments about a museum or anything like that. But once they get into the club, then it's more exclusive. Yeah. I'm in now. So I ain't trying to have this guy in. or I'm not trying to have him in. And all the things you say are absolutely true. I mean, it's hard to look at some of the inconsistencies in baseball and then take the whole operation seriously. All right, so really, really, um, there are guys in the Hall of Fame who never played against black players. Yeah, the black players were alive and who are part and, and who and, are a part of shutting out black players. There are y'all don't have a problem with that. Fame. Yeah, I mean, y'all don't have a problem with that. There are cheaters in the Hall of Fame. Wow. There are people connected wow. to PEDs. David Ortiz even. I mean, it's like David Ortiz belongs in the Hall of Fame. His connection to PEDs, while you know, it may not be the same set of circumstances as somebody right. else, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He even said, how am so, I in and they're not? <laughs> yeah, so really, okay, let, let's just talk about this. Your, your point of all right, the steroid era. We call it the steroid era, capital S, capital E. It was a real thing. It wasn't five years, wasn't 10 years. Way back in 1988, 1988, Thomas Boswell of the Washington Post wrote a column about Jose Canseco. And, and, and this was at Fenway Park. Fenway Park. Yeah. Fenway Park, Oakland A's, Boston Red Sox. They're chanting steroids at Fenway. Yeah, I was like, look, look, that's 34 years ago. They're chanting yeah. steroids. So I would say the era unofficially started then because Canseco was one of the few doing it in 88 by 90, 91, 92, especially everybody was doing it. it start. It started to turn. So let's say that era unofficially 1988 to the first year of testing 2004. That's a grip. That's a real era. And so I think if you're going to shut those guys out, you're making a mistake. Just call it the steroid era. Have a whole wing in the Hall of Fame. Steroid era, tell the story. I don't even need to go that far. Because again, then let's start categorizing like we just talked about. All the people who, you know, look a little funnier in the light as time goes on. Do we need to say, okay, if you, you know, pre, pre-integration, y'all over in this corner. Like, you don't, I don't yes. think you need an asterisk. Tell that story too. Okay, if you no, yeah. that's my okay, but I don't think you need to like necessarily separate the players. I'm not saying put it. I'm era. not saying put it. I'm not saying put a scarlet letter on them. I, I'm not saying okay. that. What, what I'm just saying okay. is, as we go through, like you've been to the uh, uh, African American Museum, and every yeah. every stage, every floor, yes. every exhibit, yes. it yes. represents a piece of history. And so you're telling right. that story. Okay, here it is. This is this is where we were with with busing. And here, here, this is where we were with you know Plessy versus Ferguson and, and what that right. meant uh, in the late 1800s. And you're going, you're telling the story of history, and you're telling the story of baseball. And I just think it's interesting that Bud Selig, who presided over this era, is in. How do you say that this era was so terrible and its stars need to be shunned when the commissioner of baseball, the only commissioner, by the way. In my lifetime, mm-hmm. who canceled the World Series, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he's in the Hall of Fame, 
But the stars of that era are not. You can't do that. Care. It doesn't How, work. I don't care. I don't care what they put in their bodies. The amount of money they put in owners pockets in network yeah. pockets sure. is immeasurable. Yeah, everybody enjoyed the show. Everybody enjoyed the show until we decided to grow conscious about it. And this is this is the thing that baffles me like this is I'm gonna use some numbers. that's gonna make it silly for you and, and not their statistics. Everybody knows the statistics. Okay. Barry Bonds, this, this they got the highest percentage of votes in 10 years. Barry Bonds got 260 votes. Roger Clemens got 257 votes. Okay. They each needed 296. So that means because 40 people, 40 people versus 260 people, but 40 people were like, eh, I'm not comfortable with the fact that they're, they're not in Cooperstown. 40 people. Right. 40 people. Like, come on. Like, it's just that this system well, is absolutely silly, and we're all adults. Put them in Cooperstown. It's easy to explain that their legacies are complicated, but they are conspicuous by their absence from a, from a place that is I there so. to tell the history Look, of baseball. Michael Smith. Alex Rodriguez was a Hall, He's of, a Hall of Fame shortstop. And, no, no, wait a minute, no. He was a Hall of Fame shortstop and a Hall of Fame third baseman because yes. when he went to New York and played third base. Sorry, Derek. It was your yeah. team. You're the captain. He had to step aside. But if you really want to you really want to be honest about it. Alex Rodriguez was your best shortstop who was playing third base. Yeah. So he's he's a third baseman and now now he starts his career as a Hall of Fame third baseman ending it only because he got traded to New York. He ends it as a shortstop, but he was still going. And I know you want to talk about complicated. His complications are way up there, but that's not really what I want to say. Yeah. When, you, when you talk about an era, we, we always look at the top of it. We always look at the top. So I already mentioned the top, the top man in charge, Bud Selig. I'm talking about the top players of the steroid era, whether, you, whether it's Roger Clemens or Barry Bonds. But how about this? When the top of the culture, when the top of the era is happening up there, that means there's a trickle-down effect. In other words, right. there were good players who became all-stars in the steroid era that we didn't pay attention right. to. There People were, who shouldn't have been in the majors. There, there were triple-A guys who were yeah. the 24th and right. 25th guy because of the right. steroid era. It affected and the affected entire the outcome So you can't say, I'm glad. well, I don't know about you. You can't measure yeah, it. You're clean. About, you're clean. Real quick so before I'm gonna we go to break. Break. You don't know that. I'm glad you mentioned Alex Rodriguez. It may be as simple. Maybe it's simple. This might not be a blanket statement. Maybe they just don't like Barry Bonds for a variety of reasons, yeah. which are well documented. Maybe they just don't like yes. Roger Clemens. There's plenty of reasons not to like Kurt Schilling. I, I can't argue with that one as much. <laughs> you know, I mean, but Ortiz, very likable, very likable. Yeah. So it's you know this is a, it's not right. It's not right. It's because it's incomplete. And I don't want an incomplete story. I want the most comprehensive. Well, Un unedited, unabridged story possible when I look at baseball. I think it's going to happen. I think it, it will happen. It didn't happen yesterday, but I think we'll get there. Even with that unforgiving audience of players and umpires and general managers talk about or whoever makes yeah, up this committee. Yeah, they'll get there. They'll come uh, around. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh 
Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Michael, yesterday we were talking about Tom Brady and his uh, potential retirement. And I'm pretty sure I mentioned Kobe Bryant and how, you know, the, the world and the sports world in particular just didn't feel right without Kobe Bryant front and center. Um, not realizing that today, not even thinking about the fact that today marks two years since Kobe, Gianna, and, and seven other passengers died in a, a, a tragic helicopter crash in California. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what it got me to thinking about what I was reminded of today was two years. Of course, it feels like yesterday. Um, we've Continue talking about Kobe at different points. We talked about uh, Vanessa Bryant's ongoing court battle with uh, LA County sheriffs and 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 their uh, abhorrent behavior at the crash site and afterward. Yeah. It's like the thing about people like Kobe. Again, I told you one of my biggest professional regrets is that I didn't make more of an effort to at least meet the cat, especially post career. Um, and, and, you know, not saying that we would ever struck up any kind of relationship, but it would have been nice to talk to him when I had the chance. Um, and as a matter of fact, I'll say this, and hopefully this, hopefully this doesn't sound weird, but there are times now when I kind of like, almost like imagine what a conversation would be like with Kobe right now. I, you know, sometimes I just kind of like have little visions or whatever. I'm just like, yeah, know, yeah, right. What, what would Kobe say? What would I ask Kobe right now? What would I talk to Kobe right now? What if I had, you know, talked to Kobe those times when we kind of cross paths or whatever? My son wears number 24. I don't know if I told you that. My son wears, you know, he plays basketball. He begged for 24. Um, wow. And so I often remind him of that for, if he for needs this, another push. Because, because of Kobe. Uh, right. He's not even, my son's 13, so he ain't even really old enough to truly appreciate what Kobe meant. But Kobe's his wallpaper on his phone. Uh, and I remember having to, like, console him on this day two years ago. Um, we had to console each other. Um but speaking of consolation, I guess the point I wanted to make was even though today is two years, it's what's interesting about somebody who who in life was as ubiquitous as Kobe. You know, when you lose somebody close to you, a parent, a significant other, a, a best friend, God forbid, a child, a grandparent, it's like you don't think of it. The grieving process doesn't take a year off until a year ago or two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. Right. It's like maybe more people kind of stop and acknowledge that the round number that is two years since we lost Kobe Bryant. But the truth of the matter is for Vanessa and Natalia and, and Capri and Bianca and us, even though again, I didn't know Kobe. Kobe felt like family. Kobe felt like a brother from another, even though I never had the pleasure. And so it's like I think about Kobe all the time. You know what I mean? It's like randomly just I'll think about Kobe Bryant. I'll think about what happened. Uh, and I'm sure every day is just like the day that they lost Kobe. Maybe less and less, I pray. You know, that peace that transcend, transcends understanding. I, I pray that yeah. every day is less and less painful somehow for Vanessa and the kids. But I'm sure like they're not looking at it like, oh, it's been two years, guys. It's like, yeah, they knew that yesterday and a day before and a day before and every day since that awful day. So it was just, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like, you know, it still doesn't feel real. Still doesn't feel real. Even two years. Yeah. Later. Hey, but you know, first of all, I, I want to tell you that that's not weird. What you said about, you know, sometimes you imagine conversations 
you know, what, what conversations would be like with Kobe and what Kobe would be saying about the space that we're in right now. I know we're going to be out in, in L.A. in a little bit for the Super Bowl. And, and one of the, my favorite moments from Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly was that segment where he has this conversation, his head, this imagined conversation he has with Tupac. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously never met him, but like, hey, I'm going through this. You went through this. What is that yeah. like? I think that happens a lot with, with people. You, when, you are, when you have a loss, when there's an absence, you wonder, especially from somebody that you're close to or somebody that you have a lot of respect for, you wonder, okay, I'm, I'm experiencing this. Did you experience this too? Or I'm thinking well, just, this way. I'd like to just hear to be clear, your it's thought more, about it. It's more like when I was a young, I'm, I'm talking specific, like you ever like replay scenarios? I'm talking specifically like when I was a young reporter in Boston and the Lakers were in Boston yeah. at the Garden. And I'm yeah, doing, I, and I, I literally and, was, yeah, and yeah. I imagine doing that again. Or like yeah. I was at the opening of the National Museum of African American History and Culture and Kobe was like right over there. And I didn't just want to run up on dude like that. You know, a lot enough people were doing right. that. I didn't want to run up on him. I'm like, what if I had? Like, what would that conversation have gone like? What could have happened after that? You know what I mean? That was that but kind I of think, stuff. But I think I just, that's like a missed opportunity. But I, but I think that's, I think that's that's good to think of, for for many reasons, and one of them is is something we say it all the time, especially when there's a tragedy, and I, I can't speak for anybody else. I don't always follow up on that that perspective that we say that mm-hmm. we that say we we've learned. Okay, now you've got to appreciate this. You got to appreciate yeah. this moment. You got to appreciate appreciate this person or this blessing, whatever it is. We we do it in tragedies, but I, I think you know great talents like Kobe and others remind us that there are a lot of these jewels that are just out there. Just like every day. I told you this before. I didn't say it on air. But we talked about this off air. You know, sometimes in, in the in the morning, I always uh, I drop off my son. I drop off my kids in the morning. I'm a morning person. Ah, which yeah. my wife is like, oh my god, how are you so on in the morning? Please, it's not brother from another. You know, you're not on the air. Inside voice, please. But I'm just like ready to go when when uh, in the morning. But I but I'll drop off my kids in two different schools, and sometimes with the oldest. I'll drop him off. He can't get out of the car fast enough, especially when his friends are, are walking by. He's like, okay. <laughs> okay. Hey, you know, like, he's like, slow yep. down here. Slow down here. Hey, it's like, uh, I, I don't want to stop your momentum, but like in, uh, in, uh, with the, in the spider, into the Spider-Verse, where the dad dropping off Miles, he'd be like, hey. I love, I love you. you. Copy. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> yeah. All right. I love yeah. you. I love you, Dad. I love you. But. Yeah. Yeah. I'll watch it like he'll go and his friends are there and I'll see him talking and I'll just pause there for a second just to see him walking through because he's 13 and yeah. hey, this thing goes fast. It goes fast and it's, I won't who knows and, and probably days are long with the years a are month a, a month and a half. He might say, you know what? You don't need to drop me off. <laughs> As a matter of mm-hmm. fact, I'll get to school. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take the train. I'm gonna take the bus with my boys, whatever it is. Yeah. And I think the same thing applies to Kobe. Now you mentioned, you know, being at the Boston Globe and and seeing him, and may, you know, why didn't I follow up in that situation? Think about it, Mike. I saw him as a rookie. <clears throat> I saw his his first game at at Boston Garden. I'm yeah. watching Kobe Bryant, and his Kobe is there, and Shaq is there, and I'm just like, eh. I'm an NBA beat writer, okay. 
basket, number eight at the time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then there are many other games, whether it was at the Forum and then the Staples Center, uh, whether it was at the Garden over the course of his career. I remember a moment with Kobe and, and Kevin Garnett, you know, together in 2013, yeah. you know, 14, somewhere around there where Garnett uh, has an award, uh, has a milestone, one of his many milestones. Kobe looks at him. They're at the free throw line, just kind of waiting for a rebound, and Kobe gives him a nudge. They tell each other a joke, and it's probably like, hey, man, we've been here since we were, we graduated from high school. Both of us came into the league at 18 years old, 18, yeah. 19. Imagine. So, but all of those moments, my point is, I, I saw this stuff up close, and I didn't yeah. appreciate it as much as I should have. And oh, I will dude. say, we gotta, we really have to do this. There are so many things that are happening for us athletically, socially. Culturally. Yeah. Like everything. Yeah. Just appreciate it. Appreciate and even, it. And even toward the, toward the back half of his career, it was very polarizing. His style of play, his approach. You know, I, I didn't agree with a lot of things. I was critical of him at different times. I don't apologize being critical. It comes with the territory. But right. um, I will say that last game, top five moments for me yeah. as a fan. I have never been more of a fan coming, than right? I was that night. I, 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 I was on TV that day, and I said, he's going for 50 tonight. I didn't see 60 coming. But I was like, you going for 50 yeah, tonight. Yeah. And that was one of the top five moments I've ever had as a fan watching that game from a hotel room on television still gives me chills thinking about how he went out. Uh, it still makes me sick to my stomach thinking about how he left us, how he and Gianna and those seven other passengers left us, but they're still here. They're still here. I got that picture still on my phone. That's my favorite picture. I got that one on my phone. And like I said, man, my son's wearing 24 and he's wearing it proudly. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. They make it three, I'm gonna cry, bro. There's no way, bro. There's no way, bro. Ain't no way. What the? F bro, what the? F bro, bro, yo, bro, 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 bro. Bro, <laughs> teams were one and sixteen thousand two hundred and thirty-nine over the last twenty seasons when trailing by seven or more points with twenty seconds left. And the 2014 Cavs went in overtime to get that win. Luke Kennard scored seven points in nine seconds, leading to the bro, bro, bro. That was a second bro. largest rally, down by 35. Second largest rally in a play-by-play -play era behind the 96 Jazz who were down by 36. The Clippers are the first team 
over the last 25 years, they have three comeback wins in a single season when trailing by at least 24, and they've done it three times in the last 14 days. Nuggets, Sixers, and Wizards. Kurt Hill from Pro Basketball Talk is here to help us react to something that we rarely have ever seen. Unprecedented type stuff. But you know what's interesting to me, Kurt? Is with no Kawhi, no Paul George, the Clippers aren't being conversed about uh, in the context of being contenders. And therefore, we're not talking about the usual, can we trust the Clippers? Do you believe in the Clippers? Right. Let, I feel like we should just sit back and appreciate the job that Ty Lue is doing with his undermanned roster. Uh, thank you. I'm glad somebody's talking about this. Like, he's not going to win coach of the year, right? Like, that's yeah, going to go to Billy Donovan or, or so, you know, somebody near the top of the list with, with these surprise teams, you know, Bicker staff, somebody. Lou has done an insane job. Those guys are ready to play every night. They come out and they're just gritty. They're tough. They're hard to play against. They're, they remind me of the pre-Kawhi Clippers in a sense because that was another team. Yeah, that team had Lou Williams, a little flash, but they were just hard to play against. This team finds a way to just not stop grinding night after night. And, you know, hey, when you got Luke Kennard to close games, what else do you need? You don't need Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> yeah right. Hey, Kurt, like, what, what do you think it is though? What do you think it is, man? Like, we can talk about the grinding Clippers and how Ty Lewis coached them well, but when you blow a thirty-five point lead, are you giving more credit to the Clippers, or do you say what happened, Washington? Did you stop playing, or you just oh you're gosh. not that good? Your front runners. Like, how do you how do you like, assess a thirty-five point collapse? Yeah, I love it. David Aldridge, who we all know, called it the worst game he's seen from a team in 40 years covering them, which if you've covered the Wizards for 40 years, like there's some bad games in there, man. There's some there's some rough fashions. Um, I, to me, I'm I. this is a struggling team right now that's really, I mean, they were so hot to early, early in the year and we kind of thought they were, hey, man, this is a good story. And they've just come apart at the seams. You know, every team got hit with COVID. Every team got hit with injuries, but they have not had the depth. They have not bounced back. They've had stretches where, hey, Kyle Kuzma carried them for a little while, was hot, but it's just not, it has not been as cohesive. It has not stuck together, kind of like I think I thought it would. I thought this team would be better than this. And last night, they just, they seem to turn off the, turn off the engine somewhere, right? Like they just, hey, we can coast this thing in and, you can't, I mean, not only can you not do that against the Clippers, you really can't do that against a lot of NBA teams. These are still guys with pride, right? You can't just mail it in the way they did in the second half. And, bro, what are you going to do? I, like, I don't know what yeah, else bro, to say. Bro, that was a, bro, 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 that was bro, a horrible. Bro. <laughs> so, right, so which bro, brings us to, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, what happens to, to Bradley Beal? Well, that's, so, that's where he, I was he, going. Because one day, yeah, one like, day what, you see a report that he's not going to sign. And then the next day, I think he did the Woes podcast saying, I want to I want to build a legacy here. I want to do it differently. Yeah. He's not going to sign the extension in the short term because there's 62 million reasons for him to get to the end of the season, get into his last year, and then either re-sign or extend off of that. Like, it just financially, he in the past has made – you know, what? one of the things he said before is that he's going to be selfish. In the past, he has – Hey, I'm going to sign this and I'm going to leave you guys some space and we're going to make this easier on you. Not this time. He's going to take every dollar he can get. I think he, maybe unlike James Harden or others, 
he's going to look at this and say, I want every dollar here. And he's going to do what a lot of agents tell players to do. Grab the bag now. Grab every dollar you can. And if you want out in two years, a year, we can make that happen. Like, it's easier to push your way out later. Just get the money now as opposed to giving up a little to get out. You know, Kurt, I'm going to tell you what. I do not envy MVP voters this year. Let's just let's take out Giannis for now um, and just focus on the bigs, the fives. Let's focus okay. on Nikola Jokic, 28 points, 21 rebounds, and nine assists last night. Joel Embiid, uh, 42 points, 14 rebounds, four blocks, and four assists in 33 minutes last night. I saw. I think I saw this stat where Embiid is averaging more points in, in 2022 calendar year than minutes. Like he's just he he's he's out of this he's out of this world. There we go, right on cue. Wow, um, right there. I, I, how I, I think MVP oftentimes is about narrative as much as it is about yeah. numbers. There's a lot of emphasis placed on where your team uh, finishes in the standings. Uh, no team relies on uh, a single player. With all due respect to LeBron, nobody relies on a single player more than the Nuggets do Nikola Jokic. If I had to pin you down right now, and thankfully you don't have to do it today, but after what you saw last night, these two go to work, another night in the office for these two, who would you say is your MVP right now? Or maybe it's Giannis. Maybe I don't want to yeah. disregard him. Yeah, by the way, he is a five. He's playing a lot of five this year with, with well, Rick Lopez go. out. Yeah, yeah, but... Um, Two weeks ago when we did this, I said, you know, I really dove into the numbers and we did a mid-season thing for NBA, you know, NBA, NBC Sports. And I chose Giannis over Jokic just kind of barely. I I don't know if I'd go back on that now. The, the, the bottom of that just changed because Kevin Durant's going to – he's falling out and he will fall out after missing all these games. He'll kind of fall out of that top five and Embiid climbing up. Uh, by the way, uh Luka Doncic has played really well of late, too. Like, I don't know if he's going to climb all the way back in, but he's looked better. Um, I, boy, it would be a coin toss. I'd spend, you know, funny thing is, I, I'm one of those voters. I have one of those votes. MVP is usually not the thing that keeps you up. Like, usually that's, maybe the you kind of debate the fourth or fifth spot down on that roster in your head, and you try to make that right. But usually by the end of the season, I'm pretty confident in who I'm going with for number one. Wow. Uh-huh. If I had to choose between Jokic and uh, and Anacumpo right now with Embiid surging like this, I don't really know where I'd go. It, Curry's sloughing yeah. something off, but he's had this great. I, I I would lose I lose enough sleep over third team All NBA. I don't know what I'd do when when MVP <laughs> vote comes up like this, man. Well, because because Embiid made it easy last year, you know. Yeah. Unfortunately, he, he got missed so much time. And, yeah. And not yeah. Jokic was brilliant and deserved it, but it was like if you were torn. He got hurt. If these two stay healthy and yeah. keep doing this, good luck. Yeah, I, I don't know where I'm going to go. I, Embiid has been – it's just – part of MVP for me is the value to your team, right? How are you lifting your team up? How much is the team better because of you? Obviously, Jokic brings a lot of that. But Embiid right now, on a, on a Ben Simmons list, you know, hey, we're, yeah. we're not just missing a player, man. We didn't even, we're not filling him in with role players. Like, there's just nobody there. And yeah. he's lifting them up to – in the mix in the east i it's i would he's in another well, level right now michael yeah. you and i had this well, conversation we had this conversation a couple of days ago i would still go with Jokic. i think i said at that at that moment i still feel this way that given the numbers and and b's numbers are incredible 
but Jokic's both counting and advanced stats are ridiculous. Given the numbers, yeah. I thought it would be idiotic, and I still do, to not give it to Nikola Jokic as he's on this record-setting pace and given how much he has meant to keep the Nuggets just afloat. Um, I would vote for Nikola Jokic, Michael, if I had a vote, but I would feel idiotic real guilty. I, it probably just is, strong. but I would feel guilty. I, just, I feel guilty about not giving Joel Embiid the award this year, but I, I'd probably give it to Jokic if I had to do one. What about well, you, Mike? Uh, well, Kurt, uh, Kurt mentioned, you know, Ben Simmons, and I was going to go there yeah. because right now I, I'd say Embiid is just is making a case. Embiid is making a really strong case. I, I'd go back and forth, and then don't forget, don't forget the other five, the the other five, the new guy, LeBron James. He's a five. <laughs> you know, he played five for a while, and he's been. He was great. He was great as a five man, right, averaging about thirty four yeah. points. So. But, but Kurt, you mentioned Ben Simmons, and you know you ever uh, around some people, or maybe you're one of those people. Sometimes you just smoke the right kind of stuff, and you think you're saying something really deep and something so brilliant. And, and somebody, somebody, somebody needs to give you an elbow. And be like, man, shut up! Like nobody, like what are you talking about? I, I feel like Daryl Morey was on that the other day on the radio, though, talking about, hey, yeah. we can we can bring him back. I mean, like, what? Why not? What is that about? And where do you think this guy is going? Where is this? Where is Ben Simmons going? Where is this story going? I feel like at some point this has got to come to a head, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't know what that stuff he's uh, laced with there because if he thinks MB, uh, Simmons is coming back this season, that's a that, that's not just your average brownie or gummy. Let's say that you've, you've, you've you've gone extra there, man, because um, that's not happening. They um, I. Honestly, more and more, and I just thought that this wouldn't happen. Um, and so, some sort some of my sources kind of thought it wouldn't happen, but now everybody seems to be coming around to it. The Sixers seem serious about, hey, if we're not getting what we want now, we will drag this out into next offseason and up to the more likely the draft. I don't know that it'll get like all the way to July, but get to the draft when more picks are available and a lot of deals get done, and that's when it happens. I can't believe that it, it is a risk. We've been talking about how great Joel Embiid is playing. If you don't put enough pieces around him, can you get past the Bucks? Can you get past the? We haven't talked about the Miami Heat. Miami Heat are good, man. Mm -hmm, like, like, mm -hmm. are you going to get past these teams if you don't at least get something back for that? Are you are you are you wasting a year of Joel Embiid? They don't seem to think so. They're going to go forward and push this through into the next season and. If they do that, I have no idea where he goes. I, I've heard all the hardened rumors. I'll just say that that's a complex mess to make happen. That uh, that sign and trade would hard cap the 76ers. They'd still have to cut salary. There, there's, it's a difficult move to make for Philly. So I don't know where he ends up. I just know that they're pretty serious about not just making a move to make a move right now. All right, we're going to get you out of here with this one, man. Uh, last night was incredible in the NBA. Tonight's got potential yeah. to be incredible. Uh, we got Suns, Jazz. Suns are the best team in the league. Jazz, um, something about, maybe it's in the name. They continue to get slept on. Uh, they're, maybe they're too smooth. Uh, they'll be, they'll be in, in, in there in the mix. We know that. Bucks will be there. The Cavaliers, Michael's favorite team. Uh, one of the best <laughs> stories in the league. I guess I'll ask it to you this way, Kurt. How seriously should we take the Cavaliers? I would try not to get too ahead of ourselves on this show, but it's hard not to respect them as more than just a cute story. Yeah, I think they've reached the point of they're a problem in the playoffs. Again, I don't think I still think they're I don't think they're knocking off 
again, the Bucks or the Heat or whatever the Nets end up looking like at the end of the season. I don't, I don't think they're on that tier, but they've proven to me that they're legitimate. They've got, they've got something they can really build on here. Um, and maybe that's most Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley is a rookie. Maybe, maybe I mean, Mobley's a rookie in Garland this year. You know, yeah, maybe I see. That's, that's the thing. You get, and get into the playoffs, right? Get in there, yeah. maybe win around. But you kind of have to, especially young players, you still kind of have to learn how to win in the NBA, right? You yeah. still have to learn how to win in playoff basketball. And so I, I think that this is a huge postseason for them. And uh, Kevin Love, sixth man of the year. I don't know if he's taking it from Tyler Hero or anyone else, but he's yeah. he's making a case. Yeah, not crazy, not crazy. Hey, man, we appreciate you, Kurt. Uh, keep up the great work on uh, NBCSports.com, Pro Basketball Talk. Anytime, uh, man. Thanks for the knowledge, brother. And we will talk to you again and, soon. Be uh, good. Love, love talking to you guys. Take care, man. Thanks, man. Thanks, Kurt. You too. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. For your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now the Chiefs have got to somehow get in field goal range. Hey, Tia. Tia. They might, they might man you up. They, I'm saying go outside and come back in like you're running a, a route outside. That way when you come back in, I can get in the way. They actually have a chance to get Bucker in field goal range here. Hey, hey. They play it like that. That seam is open. Eight seconds left, down three. I love that video so much. Isn't that Don't you love because, that stuff? Don't you love it? Well, because, I love that stuff. Because so many people, so many people, rightfully so, have focused on what the Bills didn't do in the last 13 seconds of regulation and how they didn't execute. Instead of the brilliance, the football IQ, the poise, and the execution that the Chiefs displayed in those last 13 seconds in making those two plays to get in the field goal range and sending it in overtime and have the walk-off win, which has led to continued conversation. I ain't letting it go about overhauling the NFL's overtime rules. It's been okay. on my mind. Don't let it go. Don't let we it go. We talked about it. It's the, I'm it's not, the big I'm story. Not. I am going to single-handedly change this. And we talked about it for the last two days. We've argued about it. Mm, We've agreed state. that it's both things state. can be true, that the Bills could have messed up at, in regulation, and it, yeah. it, 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 it seems empty. It, seem, it doesn't seem fair that Josh Allen did not get a shot in overtime. He had to watch the Chiefs march down the field against his number one ranked defense. They couldn't stop the Chiefs and right. have one. a walk-off touchdown. It just doesn't seem fair. So we number talked yesterday. Number one in point differential in the league. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, I think that's my thing. All right. Um, 
Okay, I, 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 I've been wanting to share this with you. The two things I want to get accomplished okay. today. I want to talk okay. about David Ortiz and hear from you as his author. Okay. Which was All great. Right. And I want to share with you an idea. There was an idea. Ooh, ideas. Okay? Ideas. There was an idea. ideas. Okay. We said yesterday that perfect is the enemy of good. Michael, mm-hmm. I think I have the perfect solution. Perfect. It's a big sentence. The really perfect way sense. to fix overtime. No, you have to write it down. It's right here. It's right here. No, we got. I got a graphic for you. Yeah. I got it here. It's right here. All right. Okay, we got it's graphics. It's called the the all Wait, or nothing proposal. Okay, you ready? Untimed, untimed overtime period. Untimed. Okay. Equal number of possessions. So turnovers count as possessions. Now here's where it gets fun. You cannot play for a tie or to extend overtime, extend the game unless the team possessing the ball first converts a two point conversion attempt, which means let's play it out with Sunday night. Okay, Chiefs go down the field, score a touchdown, kick an extra point. If the Bills get the ball and they march down the field and score a touchdown, they have to go for two. They can't kick an extra point and tie it again. And let me tell you the reason for this. That why this idea I think is great. If I may say so myself. Okay. What I didn't like about one put. So hold on. What I didn't like about one possession each and then sudden death. That's still not fair. Because if you get each team one possession, right. And then the next team scores, where it's like, well, y'all got two times with the ball. How can we get two times with the ball? This way, it it cuts down on the fear of the game going on forever, and yeah, it yeah. forces the team that has the ball second which knows what it needs to do to outscore the team that had it first. Here's another scenario. Let's say the Chiefs get the ball and kick a field goal. The Bills have to score a touchdown. If they get a if if the Chiefs get the ball and the Bills stop them, then the Bills only have to kick a field goal, which is the same as it is now. Okay. 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 All right, so so let me say and again and lastly lastly the game we're gonna workshop this lastly the game ends okay. on a safety we're gonna, we're gonna, defensive touchdown the game ends on a safety defensive touchdown punt return touchdown or kickoff return touchdown provided the kicking team only kicked the field goal in a previous possession in other words yeah if, if the, the opening kickoff of overtime is returned for a touchdown game's not over the other team still gets the ball okay, okay. where's the flaw Show me the flaw. This is exciting. It okay. would basically make everybody the Baltimore Ravens. Like you got to go for the win. You can't kick a field goal and the game keeps going. You got to go for a touchdown. Okay. Okay. Well, tell me what's wrong with this. It's just us talking. It's just us talking. Don't worry about mm-hmm. it. Don't worry about anybody else. Okay. This is okay. between me and you. Okay. Were you smoking or eating? <laughs> Okay. Well, I'll tell you. Well, the question. Okay, we're being honest. We're being transparent. We're being transparent. Yeah, of course. We're being transparent. That's right. That's that's what we do. We're being honest. We do. If we're being well, if we're being honest, um, look, I wasn't smoking or eating anything. Michael, the old saying is, "Good artists copy, great artists steal." Okay. Uh, You stole. Who you steal this from? In my twenty-some odd years of doing this, I have never stolen from anybody. I will quote right, people, but every one of my twist. thoughts, 
is an original this thought. Might be serious. It may not be a good thought. It may be serious. dumb as hell, but it's my thought. This just got real. Okay. My other brother from another and my business partner, Terrence Williams, came up with this. And he okay. told it to me last right, night, and I was like, dog, I love that idea. I love this right, idea. So, tell me what's wrong with it. You asked me what was I smoking. I you, what's wrong with it? Yo, oh, but you didn't answer. You said nothing. I wasn't right? smoking. I was sober last night, and I and I slept okay. on this, and I woke up this morning, and I still thought it was a good idea. All right, you have you're trying to take out an inequity, and you've added one. So that's Terrence? my first, okay. That's my first. Yes, because you and Terrence. Because because they have to go for the two? whole point. Yeah, and the other team doesn't. So the other team, you've introduced a harder play for the second team. Why? Hey, wait, wait, wait. Here's why. Why are you making me do? Why are you making me do something you didn't make them do? I, so you know, so here's why. Two, and you so, know Mike, I'm going for two. Here's why. Well, they all know but, you're going for two when you get if you line no, up to go but, for two. But I'm saying, you know, I have to do that. You get a chance to prepare for it. It's not like a yeah, the coach is not doing like this on the sideline or doing like that. Otherwise, you know, you know what's coming. Other, other, otherwise, when does it end? Okay. Otherwise, it doesn't that, end. That's not because, my job. No, because well, here's the now issue you're right that now. My job. The issue right now is you can't do alternating possessions just endlessly. Okay. Because again, go back to the simplest one that's been proposed, which is each team gets a possession and then it goes to sudden death. That's been the simplest proposal. That doesn't work because if the third possession they score, well, what about ours? Why? How come we didn't get a third? Eventually, somebody has to say we had our opportunities. The reason I like this is the first team, the first team on defense, just like now, you have an opportunity to make a stop. If you don't make right. that stop, now you get the ball. If you score, you can't just tie it and we do it all over again because then there's a chance of be doing it over and over again. So if you're the team that's got to go for two, you have first failed to stop them from scoring a touchdown. But since you got the ball back, you have to one up them. So the only penalty for losing the coin yeah, toss not, right now, the, right now, the penalty for losing the coin toss like is you may not get the ball. Michael, again, I got I the like stat wrong yesterday. I, I, the stat, I yes, like the stat is in, in, in overtime in the playoffs 11 times the team has won the opening coin toss 10 times that team has won. Okay. Yeah. So the coin toss has too much weight, but if you don't get the ball first, okay. The penalty is, is you have to one up them, hold them to a field goal. Like and all you got to do is score like a touchdown. I like it. I'm, I'm telling you, I think that's a flaw. Th I'll tell you another th flaw. This is better than what we got. Perfect is the enemy of good. No, I think it's perfect, no, it's but this, this is better not. than what we got. No, because then now, we, now we're bringing the untimed period. Why we got an untimed period? Uh, uh, th that might end it. That might end it without all this right. like, going back and forth. So exactly, I might be able to the sit on the ball. The, the so untimed. I got, if I've got, so got I've what? got three minutes left in overtime, we, we both have had a couple of possessions. So now, um, it's, it's, it's two minutes left in the game. We're going to the two-minute warning. Game is tied. I'm at the 33. This is regulation or overtime? At, it's regulation overtime. overtime. Okay. Overtime. It's two minutes okay. left in overtime. You've had a possession. I've had a possession each time. So now, yep. game's tied. Two minutes left. I'm at your 33-yard line. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to chill right here. I'm going to chill right That's here. That's why it's untimed. It's untimed. No, no but I want to no, time it. No, no I can end it. 
I, no, I want a clock because I'm going to use the clock to my advantage and I'm going to end this thing you. with the That's what I'm with telling the you. But, There's no clock. But, there, no, get rid of the I clock. Want, There's no clock saying, on this. No, no, no. But I want a clock because untimed extends the thing. This is my thing. proposal. No, it does not. I know. Well, I, no, it does I'm not. I'm telling you, I don't Michael. like it. I don't like was, how many, times, how many times were, how many times were there last year in the NFL? How many times? Here's the reason. Probably what, how many five, times were there in the NFL last three? year? One. I'm not sure. I'll tell you. Pittsburgh, Detroit. I don't think there were any other times. I, I think that was only was, one. Was, Gary, okay, one. correct me if I'm wrong. I think that was only one. So that means somebody went 10 minutes and I don't remember if there was a field goal and a field goal and then nothing else. I don't remember how it went down, but at the end of 10 minutes, it, it ended up being scoreless basketball. You know what's perfect right. about basketball overtime is they play a condensed game and everybody plays offense and defense and at the end of it you have to score more they than play. the opponent and this that's way you have to score more than the opponent with your proposal that's my problem with your proposal you said it and that's and fundamentally like this is like my my biggest one all oh, the ones i mentioned those are nitpicks but here's my big one you said in basketball they play a condensed game it is still basketball they're not doing anything different they don't not, it's not a dunk contest it's not like hey you got to take different about this now this is in college. It, what's different this is about a this? But it is. It's a, the clock is a part of the game. Um, you know, kicking the extra point or your decision, your free will. If you want to make it there, if you want to take it there, to go for two or not, it's up to you. Now you're taking this away. I, I Michael, want, the postseason I want doesn't the matter. Same in the postseason, the clock doesn't matter. It's a 15-minute quarter in the postseason, correct? In overtime, if it's tied at the end of 15 minutes, they keep playing. You got to keep playing. Right. Maybe if in a regular season yeah. you want to keep the clock, that's fine. But in the yes. postseason, yes. if we're going to decide who advances in the playoffs, it should not be one possession each, then sudden death. It should not be sure. walk-off touchdown. We didn't get the ball. The coin toss decided that game. I will never let that go. The coin toss decided that game. The coin toss kept Patrick Mahomes on the, on the sideline a couple of years ago. This way, you have to go for the win. So you failed in stopping them. Now you have to match them with a touchdown. You may not match them with a touchdown. You held them to a field goal. Now you got to outscore them when you get the ball back. So at the end of it, somebody got more points than the other one, and everybody's had the ball. This is you ain't thought this this is this is just your initial reaction. Sleep on this at home. Sleep on this. I'm telling you, this is a perfect example, and I love that it's this sport. This is a perfect example of of moving the goalpost. It really is because you literally? said to each I'm literally yeah, you really moving have, the goalpost. <laughs> you moved the goalpost out of it and now I got to go for two. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. How are you going to move the goalpost? John no. Harbaugh would love yeah. this. Every yeah, he would. But he's out of he didn't even make the playoffs because he was loving <laughs> two point conversions too much. If you were made, if you were like kick some extra points, you maybe you've been in the playoffs. But Mike, you've said to each team, you get a possession. Think about mm-hmm. think think about your kids. Think about what your kids would say, because you know this. You got three kids. I got three kids, and they're all about what the other two are doing. Well, you did this. Hey, you did this for her. Why not for me? Well, you let him mm-hmm. go. Not for me. You gave him that much. Mm-hmm. I mean, you gave him twenty. Why you don't Everybody give me 10? gets the best deal. Well, what? Yeah. Okay. It's like Verizon. So or you're saying to your kids, yeah. Yeah. you get a possession and you get a possession. Oh, great. We get the same thing. How, well, not quite. With your possession. You don't just get to ex- kick an extra point. Okay, you must go but why, I thought this would appeal to you, Michael. What is the argument that you made to me and a lot of people have made about why Sunday night's ending was not unfair? What have you said? Because you get not that you get to make a stop. You, what? you get to play defense. Okay, play defense. so that team that has to go for two, you could have stopped them from scoring a touchdown. 
You could have held them to a field goal. So, but you still have life after death, so to speak. So you give them mm. a touchdown. You give up your touchdown. But hey, okay, we're not gonna penalize you with that with a loss. And now you got to go home wondering what if if you got the ball, you get the ball back. But this can't go on forever. Now you got to go for the win. We're not gonna just tie it and then do this all over again. Because if we have to tie it and do it all over again, when does it end? And you say in time. I'm trying to come up with something equitable and yet still exciting. It maintains the excitement level. It yeah. raises the stakes. So no, no different than an NBA team with down by two on the road. You're trying to tie, you're getting out of there with a win. So this makes you have to, you, hey, you gave up the touchdown. All right, cool. You messed up once. The penalty for that, and you're playing a different kind of football a sec- when you have the ball second. Because you're going for it on fourth down. You're probably going to be more aggressive. You're playing a different style of a team that gets it first that may be willing to say, okay, I'll kick a field goal and, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll let my defense stop you. So if you get it first and you kick a field goal and then I score a touchdown, you didn't stop me. And you didn't score in the right. first possession. Right. right. Think it through. Okay. Smoke a little okay. something, drink a little something, and, and think yeah. it through. Well, you mentioned you mentioned uh, life after death. I don't mean I don't I don't Remember, mean that real. I don't mean that literally. I'm just I'm joking. I know. I'm joking when I say but same song. album, just, same <laughs> album. Yeah. Number four. Never I know get you high on your before. own supply. Never get high on your own supply. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Hey, I don't I'm, know. I'm, hey, I'm trying to. Hey, man. All you're I'm trying, trying to do. But you're trying. I, I like the. Effort. I'm trying. I'm trying to close like the gap the between the world's problems and solutions. And what the world needs more, the world needs love, loves and needs love really today, and the world needs a yeah. better overtime system in the NFL. And I am here. You're you welcome. and Terrence did a really good job. Well, Terrence did a really good job just thinking it through. Thinking it through, but it needs a little bit more work. A little bit more. I think you should think on this. You should consider okay. this. I will. I'll consider it. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Forty years since a team has won a game, running that few times in a game. I mean, passing that few times. Is that embarrassing? I mean, what kind Boy, of question? what are we doing, bro? What kind of question is that? That's funny. Well, we will remember that. This, this goes into disrespect. It's all about respect. I come here every single week and I answer your questions truthfully, honestly. I appreciate you guys. Don't do that. Don't do that. I think the one thing I can say to this media, because this media gets kind of up sometimes when it comes to me, we don't have our full roster. Y'all know we don't have our full roster. Stop asking me stupid questions about if I feel like I can do something. If I had my roster like they did, then I feel like I can do whatever I want to do. Russ ended it on the bench. I was curious if you guys had a reaction to, to that. I don't think we've seen that in a close game this year. And um, how was Russ after the game? Is that the sort of thing that bothers him? Or would you think that would bother Russ not being in the late game? 
You should quote yourself. <laughs> you guys want to quote us all the time, quote yourself. <laughs> all right. Thank you. I'm going to the movies with my wife, man. I gotta go. Regular viewers of this show know that not a week, maybe not even a day goes by when Michael and I do not quote John Sawatsky. Um, John Sawatsky changed my life, changed my career, and I think I speak for a lot of people. I am a disciple of John Sawatsky. I have preached John Sawatsky's gospel when it comes to interviewing to Michael Holly. I have taught a class for a semester at Marist College based on John Sawatsky's principle, and John is kind enough to join us. Investigative reporter, author, instructor, and interview scientist is here to help us nerd out. So this tape right. should be sent to journalism classes everywhere because John is about to put some knowledge down. John, thank you so much for being here. One of our biggest arguments that Michael and I had was after that first soundbite post uh, Bill's Patriots game when the reporter um, asked Jerry Sullivan, I believe it was, asked the Bills if they were right. embarrassed by the Patriots running over them and not throwing the ball uh, in, a, in a win in the freezing cold. And Michael and I went at it the next day because that trigger word of embarrassed, John, triggered me. And I was like, they reacted the way they should have because that was a loaded question. Mm -hmm. Michael and others said, no, the players should have acted more professionally in response. They didn't have to go about it that way. So, John, can you explain what was wrong with that question from the report? Before, ooh, before you answer that, John, <laughs> that's a mistake, Michael Smith. You said what was wrong, and that is an opinion that you have put into a question to John Sawatsky, and that is Sawatsky 101. My bad, my bad, that, and that wasn't lean. That wasn't lean at all. Okay, wait, I'm sorry. Open it <laughs> neutral and lean. I'm sorry. Okay, okay, John, what did you think about Jerry Sullivan's question to Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer? It was an embarrassing question. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Uh, and Michael, your question wasn't neutral. That is true, but it was less egregious than the other Michael's question. <laughs> so we're talking about degree. In yeah. fact, it's pretty hard to ask a question that is neutral. You know, d just try it sometime. You know, and it's not that easy. But some of the stuff that has been going on in terms of the questions being asked uh, have been real doozers, you know. And it just goes to show that a lot of journalists don't think about their questions. They just throw them out, you know. Um, and they don't realize the questions contain content that people react to, you know. And when you look at it simply as a matter of, like, corporate goals, if you're a corporation, you're trying to get something done, you have goals and you want to get as many, clear away as many of the obstacles as you possibly can that'll disrupt those goals. Well, the same thing happens with questions, you know. Uh, we have a reason for asking a question. We want to get something when we ask a question, you know. Uh, and there's so many different ways we can screw it up, and we do, you know. And uh, and that that's part of the problem. The, the thing about questions are is, um, that they're very powerful, you know, uh, but they're also very fragile. They disrupt very quickly. You know, I always think of them in terms of being the peregrine falcon. The peregrine falcon is the most powerful bird in the sky. It has no flying enemies. It has all the food it wants. It's the fastest bird in, in the sky. Uh, and yet it almost became extinct 
and half of North America, you know, and they had to put it on the endangered species list. You know, why is that? Because they're very, they're very powerful, but they're also very fragile. Um, and DDT got into its reproductive system and they couldn't, um, the, the shells on their eggs were too thin to hatch, so they couldn't reproduce. You know, questions are the same thing. They're powerful, but they're fragile. And we have to use them more precisely. As journalists, you know, we're professionals. We need to know how to ask questions professionally. And that's, that's what I've gone around teaching journalists to do, how to ask questions professionally in a way that gets results. Uh, I know Michael uh, I, wants to ask you some open-ended, neutral, and lean questions, but <laughs> I, I really would love it if you... Yeah. What's, the, what's, the, what's the line, John? I know the line, but I like it better when you say it. I could recite it about uh, questions as window panes. Oh, well, there, I see them as windows. I mean, what's the purpose of having a window is so you can see outside, right? And uh, so you want clean windows and you want windows that are free of defects, no cracks, no bubbles, you know, because the, the whole purpose of that window is to give you um, a sense of reality that is outside. And so when we ask a question, we want to get from the person from the respondent, a picture of reality of what is going on in their life. And uh, so we don't want to ask questions that are dirty, you know, that are biased, that have filth on them, that are cracked, you know, uh, anything that distorts the view. We want to get a clear view about reality that is going on. Because in the end, that's what we're trying to do as journalists. We're trying to convey reality to our audience. Now, I was going to ask you about Buffalo, but I want to move on. I, I, I was going to ask you about Jerry Sullivan and what he could, the approach he could have used in that situation that would have elicited what he was looking for. But we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. I'm, okay. I'm more interested in that in, in the next clip. Um, you know, we had Penny Hardaway, and I think about his response, and I even think about an old clip from Dennis uh, Dennis Green saying, "Yeah, you want to crown him." Then go ahead and crown them. The Bears are who we thought who, who, who we thought they were, and that, those are guys just bringing emotion. And yes. the questions weren't necessarily great, but I guess the counter to the clean windows is, well, maybe the question wasn't great, but the content is so memorable that we're still talking about it. it aren't we still trying to get to that content, even though it wasn't delivered via a clean question? You, you make a really good point. And here's the thing. I mean, um, there's no rules, you know, uh, but there are principles. And these principles, they're universal and they're timeless, you know. But there always are exceptions, you know. And uh, it's like anything else. Uh, you know, I, I come from an economics background uh, and where the law of supply, you know, I learned the law of supply in my first lecture I ever took in university. And the law of supply, the, the law of supply and demand absolutely applies, but there are exceptions. And sometimes when you increase the price of something, it goes up, the, the, the demand goes up rather than down. And that's, that is true, there's always exceptions, but if you, if you follow those exceptions and use that as your guide, um, you, you're gonna run into trouble. And, uh, uh, and that's the same thing with interviewing. So once in a while, you'll throw a trigger word in there and it'll get them to react and they'll supply emotion and it'll be a great clip. You know, playoffs? You think playoffs? You know, 
uh, we're just lucky to win a game, you know, and we've all heard that one often enough. And, uh, but those are exceptions. And if you, if you devise an interview methodology based on exceptions, you're going to be a bad interviewer, you know, and you're going to get into the, into the case that some programs get into where they interview, I call it interviewing by exception. They ask bad question after bad question after bad question, and they keep taping, they keep taping till they get enough exceptions. They can get string together a series of answers that can get onto the air, you know? It's a very mm -hmm. inefficient, bad way to conduct an interview. So rather than interview by exception, you should interview by example. Yeah, no, I, one of the things I, I'm fond of saying when it comes to, because people will say, you know, well, and, and Michael and I talked about that. Well, you know, they got great, a great response or they got what they were looking for. I'm like, or the, is the reason why people don't realize that they don't know how to interview is because they don't know what they could have gotten had they asked exactly. a more effective question. Like you think the you got something cost. good. Yes. Yes. What is yes. the opportunity you cost? You know, and uh, what what I some of my most effective sessions I've had, you know, uh, uh, when I was working at ESPN was after the I, I I sit down, Michael, you took my my course for three days. And then at the end of it, I'd sit down individually with um, uh, people and go over their tape. And mm -hmm. so often they'd say, oh, and I'd show, okay, he, here's what you gave up. If you asked the question this way, look at the possibilities you would have had. And they go, oh, man. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I see it. Now the penny drops. You say, you have to, what did you give up in order to get that? That's the bottom line. Ooh, John, I'm going to put you on the spot now. Present company excluded. <laughs> Present company excluded in the sports realm and outside of sports. <laughs> who do you think? Are, who are some of your favorite interviewers working yeah. today? Just give us Present like company excluded. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I, I hate company that excluded. question. If, if there's any question. I know. I know. It's have... so unfair, isn't it? It, well, yeah, it's because most people interview badly, you know, and most journalists are bad interviewers, you know, uh, and that's that's because that hurts. Uh, but you know, it's true. It's true. They, I, they, <laughs> you know, the, um, it, see, when you're talking about communication, there's two elements to it. There's output and there's input, right? Those are the only two mm -hmm. things when you communicate with somebody, whether it's through an interview or a conversation or anything else. It's, it's always intake and output and input, you know, and, uh, uh, and of course, in journalism, we've all focused on the outputting skills. And those are, you have to have, you have to be a good outputter to get on television. You have to, you know, and, uh, uh, and those are the people who tend to rise to the top, but those are also the people who do the worst interviews because interviewing is not about giving, it's about getting. See? And all the principles are reversed. All your instincts are exactly the opposite, you know. Um, and it's like um, uh, being a basketball player and learning only offense and not defense, you know. It's like being a baseball player and learning only how to hit and never working on your glove skills, you know, fielding skills. And uh, you're going to be a one-way player and you'll never be a superstar. You need to be a star in both dimensions, output and input. Just like in sports, you have to be a, a star in, in 
offense and defense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'll tell you, because I, I took your, your seminar in 2006. I think it was 2006. And by that time, you know, I'm young, hot shot. You couldn't tell me. I didn't know how to interview. And then I took your class. I was like, oh, my God. But it's like with so many people have just been doing it for a certain way for yeah. so long and it works. They don't know exactly. to do any better. But what I'm curious about, John, I know you always talk about how your methodology is constantly evolving. You're constantly learning yourself. Even since I first met you and we've kept in touch over the years and, and I first took your class and you, you know, my paradigm shifted from learning from you. The, the landscape of media has changed. There are so many podcasts and podcasts being hosted by non-traditional journalists. I mean, a lot of athletes, a lot of celebrities, a lot of influencers, if you will, are in media now. Um, the formats have changed. The platforms have evolved and changed from the days when it was we were discussing sideline reporting or your traditional sit down interview one on one, uh, those type or, or, you know, exclusive interviews, that sort of thing. There's so many different uh, opportunities for interaction. Uh, what do you think um, of, of, of some of, the, of, of let me see if I can phrase this differently. Trying to make sure I ask this the right see, way. Since, since yeah, I'm in front yeah, of you, I want to get I want to get it right. Pressure, yeah, I got to get it right. I'm in front of you. I don't want. I, I don't. Want, I don't want. <laughs> how how would you adapt your principles to fit the changing media landscape? Well, the principles don't change. Um, the uh, I mean, they're 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 timeless. You know, um, uh, you're still trying to do basically the same thing. You're you're storytelling. You know, if you're in journalism, essentially, you're into storytelling. Even people on breaking news, the hard news reporters, you know, uh, uh, their things change a little bit. But you're storytelling, and it becomes a matter of how do you get that story across to your aud audience? You know, who is the storyteller? And, you know, who's the storyteller talking to? Is Are you the storyteller talking to your audience? Or are you interviewing somebody when the person you're interviewing becomes a storyteller and they're talking to you, you know, and uh, uh, that's where the application changes. But in terms of because somebody is new in a, a new podcast or something, that doesn't change at all. In fact, they have a bit of an advantage because they haven't learned all the bad skills that professional journalists have mm -hmm. picked up, you know. I remember many, many, many years ago when I started as a newspaper reporter, uh, some of the best interviews I ever did were some of the first interviews I ever did, you know? Um, and then what happened, uh, I became skillful. And after a while, my interviews weren't as effective as they were at the beginning, you know? It, you know, this rookie luck thing. And, and that's not a coincidence, you see. What happens is... I learned more, I, I, and I got opinionated, you know, and I started mm -hmm. jumping to conclusions, you see, and rather than starting at the beginning, you know, and finding out what really was going on, I'd make certain leaps and certain assumptions, and uh, I knew so much, I didn't have to ask what some people would regard as a dumb question. Well, why is that? Right. You know, those very simple those are the best questions. questions. Those yeah, are the best those are questions, the best ones. you know. Yeah. And those are the basic ones that get out the, the, the essential story, you know. Yeah. And uh, I was actually jumping ahead of that process, and I was screwing up the process, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so some of the people that are not traditional journalists that are in podcasts, 
they can be doing some actually pretty good stuff because they haven't learned mm. enough to screw it up yet. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my, my final question for you, John, is how do Mike and I get better as interviewers? <laughs> well, you know, in sports, what do coaches and athletes do? They study tape, right? They study tape. You know, I was just reading a feature on Cooper Cup, you mm -hmm. know, who's, who, who you could argue should be the MVP of the year. You know, he's not okay, the fastest. Okay, John, with the take. Okay, John, with the sports take. Okay. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I appreciate it. There it is. Slide yeah. no, right. that in there. And this is coming from a Seahawks fan who who is not uh, a Rams fan. But sorry. I have to give Cooper Cup his due, you know. He's not the fastest. He's he's not the biggest, you know. He, but he he's the guy who always does it in the end, you see. And what does he do? He studies tape. You know, he keeps the, and, and this is the thing we have to do. Um, go back and study the questions. You know what was interesting? When I, I uh, used to teach a lot in Europe, and these are all in the Nordic countries, Sweden, Denmark, Norway, Finland, these countries, you know, Den um, Netherlands. Uh, none of them operated in English, although they all spoke English very well. And of course, I was teaching them in English, and I was teaching them off their tape, which was in Swedish or Norwegian or something. And uh, uh, and I would have them when when we did tape analysis session. Of course, I didn't. I don't know a word of Swedish. And they would play the tape and stop it, and translate. And then they'd play another sentence and translate for me. You know what? And half the time, I didn't have to say anything. They'd play a sentence, they'd translate, they'd say, oh, okay, I know what the mm. problem is. You don't have to say anything, mm. you know? Yeah. Uh, and because forcing them to go through that, they realize, oh, well, this is, you know, like it's, we're, we're running at full speed, you know, not slow-mo. And when, and when we're looking at ourselves, and this was slowing them down, and they were, were looking at every word, and it became obvious what the problem was, you know? Yeah. So I just give you my Cooper Cup example. Just go back and study tape. You know. Study the tape. Yeah. Hey, John. Uh, this <laughs> has been fantastic. This has been fantastic. Again, it feels full circle. I mean, people who listen to us, he, us name drop you all the time. I got to make a, a, a confession on the way out. I break your rules all the time, but I know I'm breaking them. I'm just getting a that's, little too much into my output, but I know what I'm doing. Yeah. I haven't forgotten them. I just, I'm, I'm in output mode as much as input mode. But when I want to, I lock in. And for those that don't know, they're also good with your significant others and they're good for applicants and job interviews. They're good in every walk of life. It's not just journalism. Absolutely. Oh, no, they're no. Great. This, this has universal application. Yeah. Universal application. God bless yeah, you, John. Thank you so much for everything. There man. it is. Well, Appreciate thank you for you. inviting me. It's, it's been a blast. All take right, care. Take care. You know, every year I just have to make sure that I'm have the ability to commit to what the team really needs. And that's a, that's a really important to me. The team, the team doesn't deserve anything less than my best. And if I feel like I'm not committed to that, or I can't play at a championship level, then you got to give someone else a chance to play. And, uh, you know, we'll see, you know, again, there's a long time between now and the start of next football season. And, you know, I've got to really figure those things out, which is probably natural for anyone. And at the same time, I would say this. 
we never know what's going to happen in the future. We really don't. I mean, Kobe Bryant, a friend of ours, God rest his soul. You know, you think you're going to live forever. We're not. We think we're going to play forever. We're not. What can we do? We can enjoy the moments that we have. All right. So, Mike, you know, Tom Brady talking about what everybody is, is asking. You know, what's going to happen with your, your, with your career? Are you going to return to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for your third season with Tampa? And, and, I, and the fact that we're even having this conversation just takes me back to what I said there. Right? You know, which, which number 12 knows what he's doing next? I think Tom Brady knows. I know what he's saying. Hey, you know, tomorrow's not promised. The season just ended. Uh, we're going to take our time and all this. This is different. I haven't heard him. I heard. I haven't heard him say it like this at the end of the year. And I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna explain it this way. I've heard Tom Brady talk about his family, how his wife is his number one supporter. I've heard him talk about how you know life is precious and you just don't know and you you can't overreact. I've heard all that. But generally, what he says is some version of, "Why would I stop playing football now?" So he told Peter King eight years ago now. I've got the answers to the test. Why would I stop now? Yeah. Uh, in 2013, roundabout, or 13 or 14, he said, why does everybody want me to retire? When I suck, I'll retire. Uh, I'm a football player. This is what I love to do. I love being in that locker room. I love competing. He usually says all of those things. I want to play till 45. And then when I get to 45, we'll see if I'll keep going. But no, he's not. And it's not because the season just ended. I think this is the moment. I don't know what he's going to do. I'm not telling you like, hey, I'm this. I got the inside story. But I know from watching and interviewing and listening to Tom Brady all these years, this, I think, is the most seriously he's considered retiring. I don't think he's ever been this far along. I don't think that's a stretch or... I don't think that's a stretch and take this the right way. I don't I don't think that's that bold of a statement. And only reason it, I'll say that is and I'm not trying to be bold. I'm just I'm just trying to tell no, you. No, 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 but, but, but I'm saying it's kind of obvious, but it's kind of obvious. He's never been 44. Like it would it would shock me if he weren't thinking about the end, but it's not 44. It's not the numbers because he you know, 44 I mean, he's 44. Played, no, no, no. I'm, at I'm the saying beginning of this he's year. played so long. He shouldn't. Why? Why would he be thinking the way he thought seven or eight years ago, or ten years ago, at this stage of or his three, life and his family's life, my, or three years ago, or a year ago? This year, this year, this, this year, something changed with Tom Brady. See, forty-four. Just for I'm just, saying, just so we're clear on this, I'm saying forty-four was never. That's what's changed. Well, I don't know. Like Michael, you 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 think differently than you did three years ago. I'm saying this was inevitable. Unfortunately, at I don't. some point. Unfortunately, I don't. <laughs> at some point, Tom Brady was going to think about retirement. I I hear you. It sounds like he's leaning that way. So I get why you would say you think he knows. I doubt but, it, and the only reason I tend to doubt that he but knows. But 44 was just, but Mike, 44 was never something. It was not. Tom Brady was not a year by year. We'll look at it at the end of the year. At the beginning of the 2021 season, it's like, what? Oh, yeah, 45, 48. So maybe, maybe, but maybe he this was just. This has changed in the last two or three weeks. 
But uh, okay, but I'm agreeing with you. Changed. I don't know. Okay, maybe something happened behind the scenes that we don't know. He's a very private person. As open as he's gotten since he's gotten to Tampa, he's a very private person. We're not privy to whatever conversation he's had behind closed doors with Giselle or the kids. So maybe something has changed. What I'm saying is just like when you get older, you got to take certain vitamin supplements. You got to visit the doctor more often. You have to think about the end when you didn't think about the end and you thought you'd live forever. This is the natural progression for somebody's career. An unprecedented career. Most people don't have to wrestle with this decision after 22 years. Most people are long into retirement because either they've, they've gotten tired of it or the game has retired them. It would shock me if he weren't wrestling with this. I think he's agonizing over it. I don't think he knows. I think it gets harder and harder for him to muster up the sacrifice that it takes to play at the level of commitment that he needs to and the level of excellence that he needs to. So he may be kind of nudging closer to retirement than he was before and therefore talking more openly about it. I don't know that he knows because what was what also surprised me about Tom Brady is if at any point this year to do what he did with one toe or foot out the door because you're thinking about it and not only are you thinking about it, you know you, this is the end well, that would surprise me given how laser focused he's always been on the task at hand. I think he's so I, that, I take him at his word that right now is when he's going to assess what to do right now and well, he's just he's letting multi- us in on whoa, his whoa, process. Whoa, 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 whoa. He's a multitasker. Michael, you he's know what they say you, when you start talking when they say you've been when they say they, they say when you're getting divorced, you've been getting the you, you take your marriage and divide it by two. When you start talking about divorce, you've been thinking about it much longer than that. I don't believe that the Tom Brady that I think I know emphasis on think emphasis on think I think Tom Brady was focused on this season and I don't think he knew that he was done. I don't think he knew he may he may come to this place of being done, but I don't think he knew and I don't think he knows now I think he's agonizing over it and I'll just make this real quick point. One thing that I think will factor in and I think we under underrated the last couple of days is that the Bucks probably have to do some kind of a recruiting job to make it harder for him to walk away. I think we got it backwards like, oh, well, he got to let them know so they can decide on Godwin and Fournette and Jensen and Gronkowski maybe or Carlton Davis or Jordan Whitehead, you know, maybe they got to make those decisions so that Giselle don't have to watch him get hit. You were saying? Yeah, well, first of all, you can you can decide to retire and still be focused on the job. I mean, how many how many great athletes have gone into a season saying this is it? We just talked about Kobe. And they win a championship. The farewell tour. And, and they win a, uh, yeah, and they win a yeah, championship. Absolutely. Or win a championship. Like John El- I'm this not saying one's it's impossible. John, John Elway. I'm not saying Kareem. it's impossible. Like, I'm saying Brady. I'm strictly talking about Brady. People have had farewell tours, bad, which he doesn't want. Brady can do I'm it talking too. about how Brady approaches his job, but he hasn't approached his job that way. He okay, you okay, you tell me this. You know, you know this much better than me. Okay. All right. Because the equivalent is his last year in New England. Okay, maybe yes. I'm maybe that's the evidence to your point. I'll, I'll contradict my own point. He knew it was probably the end then, but right. did he already know where he was going or how it was going to end? And he's so and I maybe he maybe knew. he did multitask this year. I just give him more credit than that. I think he actually focused because because like he said, the team deserves well, my, my, my undivided attention. 
Look, uh, it, sure. And as a football, you know, it, it's okay for these people uh, to say, these, these athletes, oh, they deserve my attention. Yes, your attention, but you're still a human being. You're a multidimensional human being. I'm giving you credit for that. Maybe the way you frame it and the way people receive it, it's, it's less than. I don't, I don't believe that Tom Brady can only focus on football during the season and nothing yeah. else, such as his future and life after football. You can, you can think about life after football and still play at an MVP level. He did it. We're going to find out he did it. Because if you're asking me today, I think he's saying goodbye. I think, I think he may have thought about played. it. Here's where I'll meet you. I think he's thought about it. I don't think he's fully evaluated it and come to a decision. That's, right. that's the, we'll the nuance. Good that's stuff. the subtle disagreement we have. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... The charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.